Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we put them back in their houses for 10 years. All right, lads, so we finally have some good news. It's great to do a live show today because the GEA are about to release their return to play roadmap. And this has been agreed by the the COVID-19 advisory group, and it's going to be ratified by the GA management. So we're going to see this roadmap either tomorrow or Monday at the latest. So Damien Lawler and the RTE website had, um, he had gave us a taste of it yesterday. So he obviously got a leak. He has some sources in the GA, and I wouldn't doubt his sources because he's obviously very well in with the GA. So what he had yesterday is that the club football is going to start back on Friday the 31st. Well, I don't think he had Friday the 31st. That's the information I got. Um, Friday the 31st of July. So we're going to see club action in August, September, and we're going to see inter-county action in October and November. We're going to see club action until county final stage, and that's it. And then we're going to see inter-county until until All-Ireland stage at the end of November. So I don't know, lads, I'm absolutely delighted. There's light at the end of the tunnel. This is fantastic news, and I'm starting on a positive light, and I'm not going to start giving out Jack Cannon. <laughs> is this, is this brilliant? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it's really, it's almost like you stumbled across a, a really good format where you play the club championship, and then after that, you go into the county championship, and like that, <laughs> it almost, it's like, it's like a classic, uh, like back in the day, it's like, you know, if you play well in your club, then you get into your county, and like, it, it, it almost means more than when you go into the semi-final, because you're going to look, is who can we call up to the county, I know that's not going to happen, they already have their panels and stuff, but um, 
Yeah, no, it's, it's exciting. Like, and it, it's class that it's going to be condensed. It's not going to be a four-month season for Club and County every year, but it's it's going to make it really exciting this year, I think. Yeah, so the pitches are going to open up on June 29th. So this is a change from John Horan's July 20th. So the advisory group has got hold. Like, this this needs to be pointed out that, well, first we'll talk about the June 29th, lads. So, Connor, we four, you have four weeks prep on the field with the ball. Probably enough, right? Yeah, I, I would have thought... Not ideal. Not like, the perfect scenario for me would be June the 8th pitches back open, June 29th wrap up, ramp up training a little bit, you know, to more shadow matches, and then, you know, July 20th, let's start playing. That's what the government allowed. But based on John Horan's kind of ultra-conservative uh, July 20th date, to pull it back by three weeks, the advisory group at, at least got some wriggle room on that silly date John Horan pulled out of his hat. Yes, so so if 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 we are allowed back in the pitches in 29th of June, you're looking at maybe four weeks running into championship. That'd be correct. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, like it's not. Listen, it's if we can drill down into the minutiae of it, it's not entirely ideal. I mean, like you probably want a longer preseason than that. But I go back to a point that I think I made a couple of weeks ago when you're talking about like um, match fitness and stuff like that. Is that everybody is coming from everybody is coming from the same place, or at least they should be coming from the same place that they were observing the guidelines. So it's not as if if you're playing in a club championship and you know one one team has been doing six weeks extra training or anything like that, everybody will be back in. You know, come like the last couple of days in June, preparing for a return. You know, for for the for the last week in July. So I suppose that like the main thing, the main thing I you'd you'd want to look out for is that I suppose the type of training that clubs are going to do before they come back, because obviously, again, if if people have been you know adhering to the guidelines, they wouldn't have been able to do the match based stuff. You know that 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 you need to do. So there'll be a lot of that, and you know it'll be up, it'll be incumbent on strength and conditioning coaches and and managers and coaches and stuff like that, just to the avoidance of injury. I think will be really important, to, like con- considering the activity that we've had the last few weeks. But I think everybody, we just so delighted, Willie, to to get some sort of return to action that they'll you know they'll take four weeks if they're given it. Right, and like I mean, the thing it is, it's not cool. It's not four weeks. You know, starting back in January when you have a bit of a belly on you and stuff like players know now four weeks before the 29th, what's happening. So they should be, you know, have cardiovascular fitness pretty well sorted. They should be doing shuttle sprints on their own. They should be doing as much ball work as they can. And even in smaller groups on a public pitch. And when you hit the June 29th cannon, when you're heading back to group training, physically, you're in very good shape. And four weeks with the ball, realistically, you know, it's not ideal because we don't know the story with challenge matches. You know, can you do that? I doubt it. Um, can you play? You'd probably be able to play some, you know, less contact games. You see, the, the, the problem with this four weeks canon is the first two weeks might be no contact and just small groups, and then the second two weeks might be ramping it up. That's why I reckon the GEA got it so wrong with this July 20th opening pitches. They got it arseways, and instead of opening up walkways now in the next phase on June the 8th, they should be opening back the pitches and gradually building it up over the eight weeks. Do you know what I mean? Rather than Four weeks, July 29th, you have to ramp training up to, you know, start um, a championship match a month later. You you pretty much want to be starting a good bit of contact in week two. Mm, I think you're right, though, when you say like, you're not coming in with a belly. It's not January or December or whatever. And like, to be honest, everybody has done a pre-seasons. Uh, I don't know about anybody else, but like, it'd be less likely that you want to have lost all that work that you've done pre-season. You probably lost some of it, but 
basically all you could do for the last 11 weeks is run. So part of me was thinking that people will be coming in with a with a better cardiovascular fitness than yeah. probably normal. Like they, like I, I haven't turned in eleven weeks. I was never good at turning, so I need to start doing that. Like and you're talking about shoulder runs. There's little things like that that you have to find, Jim. But I think it's just a much higher base that you're coming into. And even if it is starting in June 29th and not June 8th, like you had proposed. It's still enough time to get to a reasonable standard because I think everybody has been training or they have been running. And like you say, you have four weeks now as well before you go back for another four weeks. The, the funny thing is the date of July 29th to start that club activity. It's only nine days later than the government um, pathway, which is the 20th of July that GA Games can start. So there's no real complaint on that. The problem is the build up to it has been done so shoddily and arseways that it just doesn't seem like a proper kind of lead into it. So we know John Horan says July the 20th to reopen pitches. And this was said completely unchallenged on the Sunday game. And the interesting thing about this, lads, because this was um, a statement was released about this. And obviously on the same statement that there was an advisory group set up. So it almost looked like in the, in the statement, the advisory group, which has medical experts on it, has GPA representatives, you know, has different representatives from the GEA. It made it look like that advisory group was involved in that 20th of July date. And it wasn't. Like they came in, you know, with their hands tied in a lot of ways in that they had to work towards a date that they wouldn't necessarily have chosen. So, like, I mean, it was a total botch job, the July 20th date by County Board Chairman and GA Management Committee with no medical expertise and pulled this out of nowhere. And, you know, like they finally got to the advisory group has obviously got their hands on it got them back to play only nine days after the, you know, the 20th of July, which was the, the government recommendation to go back playing. But, you know, they obviously weren't able to talk around, you know, opening the pitches any earlier, which for me, the pitches should be opened in, you know, on the 8th and then, you know, built up from there rather than I think we're getting walkways on the 8th. Like it's, you know, it just does it just doesn't make sense, but you couldn't make it up um, a lot of that stuff. But isn't it isn't it interesting that that July 20th date was just made up without consulting the, the actual advisory group, which maybe it was set up after that date was was pulled out and said, OK, here you go, medical experts. Here's a date you have to work towards that we just decided on a group call with a, with a lot of county board chairmen. Yeah, like I think I think I said at the time, Willie, and, and granted this is going back maybe three or four weeks that the GA was buying itself some time. And then like you look at the reaction to the interview that John Horan did and, and like for the few days afterwards, you know, he seemed to be getting I, I like like I know you had you had some issues with it at the time, but he seemed to be getting a lot of praise. But like things like things just move on so quickly. And there's like a there's a there's an anxiousness, there's an anxiety about people to, to move on you know, so quickly like, and to get to, to resume some sort of normality. Do you know what I mean? So like, I would say the only thing to come out of it, like at the time, maybe they were trying to buy themselves some time and, you know, hopefully the data will have moved on. So by the end of July, that they'd be in a better position, but it's moved on so quickly now. But the only positive thing is that they've, they said they'd review it as they went on and they are reviewing it as they go on. And now it looks like, you know, it probably was a, was a was a mistake at the time, but at least now they're they're willing to correct it. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose if they just followed the government advice, you know, it would have been clearer. But there, of course, the club is getting two months, Conan, and the intercounty is getting two months, and there's some people are still not happy. 
Here's a tweet I saw. I won't say who who wrote it, but this is a flavour of a lot of tweets I saw, I saw on this same subject, and it's the same old nonsense. For the club, the beginning for one season of provincial and Ireland championships is is another blow to a grade already feeling squeezed in the calendar. For one year, why not give club priority to club competitions instead of inter-county games being played back in October? Lack of respect. So they're all given out. For once in, in the history of the Gaelic Athletic Association, club football is getting the identical window that inter-county football <laughs> is getting. And people are whinging about this because they want to finish out the whole year to a finish. The reality is the club season is entirely longer than what this new inter-county condensed season is going to be. You can't be any fairer than two months and two months. And we still have, what about the club player? <laughs> yeah, you're giving half of it to what's only 1% of the county. I don't know, like I... Sometimes I feel like a yeah, bit of a turncoat. Fin- financially, they need it, though. Jesus, Conan, what oh, are they going to do? Just joking. Plus, it's like, it's, you know, the majority of people, like, you know, who don't play, and actually the majority of people don't play in the GA. They don't play. They watch, and they probably prefer watching the county, like, you know, because it's a higher standard, and it's better marketed and better covered. But sometimes I feel like a turncoat when I'm going against the club stuff, because... You know, I know it's hip to to bang on, like to bang that drum, and and yeah, they make that point. They like, go oh, only two months for club, a uh, typical GA. But like, I I play club, Connor plays club. You you still play club, like you still get plenty of games. Like you know, I know it's annoying sometimes that you want to know when you're playing and stuff like that. But you play like in Dublin, you start in February, you play fifteen league games, you go into a championship in April, you play championships in September. Like there's loads of matches still. Like and as a club player, I personally. I've never felt that screwed over by it. Like, uh, like you know, and again, that makes me a bit of a, a bit of a turncoat. But you know, I especially now when it's two months for club and two months for inter county, and we had thought that going into county first would have made more sense. I, I, I don't get what we're talking about because club is going on first, and like that's going to be the the one that everybody's getting the focus on. They get the train earlier. The county will probably have to take a back seat. The county managers will be raging about that. Raging about um, that, yeah. And it's going thinking, to be harder well, to control because there's so many, so many club teams, so many club players. It just would have been more natural to to go on with the county first because it's more. Controlled. Yeah, but no, I was actually thinking about that, and the reason that they can't go inter county first is because they wouldn't be able to with the government uh, travel restrictions. Do you get me? Like the 20 kilometer restriction will be there. So in October, oh. November, in, in October, November, that you'd imagine that will have gone. But within but I think o- that goes in July 20th. Yeah, like, sure is it not August 10th that go, the travel restrictions go, no? No, phase four, you're allowed to go beyond your 20 kilometers. Yeah. You can go beyond 20 kilometers. Oh, well, then, we're, we're, then we were right. Okay, I'm actually disproving myself with false information. So maybe <laughs> um, I, sh- I should have... Uh, I should have read that probably. But in a funny way, lads, some pitches could open now. Like John Fogarty had some stats of the examiner. And we know that that um, Sligo for the last 15 days, it's 16 now since I read this, Kerry for the last 12 days, Wexford for the last 12 days, Donegal for the last 12 days, have had no new cases. You know, like, I mean, what is stopping those counties getting back to normal? You know, going out under pitches, playing. It's not like we know that it's it's pretty much wiped out of the community now. If you've no new cases for over a week, surely you're treated different than you know Dublin, for example, which I know the cases are minuscule in Dublin now, but or Cork or any of the big urban kind of uh, cities. That it's a lot. There's basically minimal minimal risk in those counties, and they for me they should be allowed back. And another thing, they're not really getting a leg up on anyone else because it's only they're only going to they're only going to play in their own local county championship anyways. 
Do you get me? And the intercounty players, you could say that's unfair, they'll be back before. But sure, all intercounty players will have had two months of club football before they start back. Do you know what I mean? I don't know, Colin. I don't see there, why there would be any reason why different county boards can't decide it for themselves. Yeah, I wonder is just like remember um Leo Radical was on before talking about uh you know if a restaurant in Roscommon opens everyone goes down. Not that everyone's gonna land down to Guido George Pitts and Donegal, but it just it does it become that sort of thing where you when you see other clubs training and other counties are getting back to normal, do you I don't, I don't know what it, jump into? I don't know what it's like for you, but if there's a pitch open in Offaly, a team from each can't just land down and say, Here, let's <laughs> have a ball here, can we join in? <laughs> I know that, that's what I'm saying, but like you know, but then once you see that in leash you know, just think, oh fuck that! Like we're going back as well. Like, the, like you know, it's all fine. Let's let's just do it. We'll we'll be smarter, but you know, and then it just once you hear one club at least doing it, and everybody else is definitely in leash when they start doing it. it just has a sort of a knock on effect. No, I no, start, if I, you one club in leash, it would be all clubs in leash. If leash has had no new cases, you know, for whatever it is, fourteen days, you know, every club in leash then should be allowed to go back. Yeah, but if you look at like you see uh, Bose uh, training the video of the League of Ireland team, they were out training there in some Dublin park, and you know they got caught. But, like they said that they had been managing it, and there were groups of four. But this time they had an extra group of four, which was a mistake. And I was wondering then about the reaction of other League of Ireland teams when they see that. Pretty be thinking, oh Jesus, well they're training, we better start doing something a bit more crap. Like just again, it goes into that psyche. Then like you start thinking they're getting ahead of us, we better get ahead. Yeah, that's the thing. But th- again, I make the point, Connor, in that they're only they're not really getting ahead because they're preparing for a county championship that only includes that county. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I completely get you. And like, and like I know from like my our own situation down here, you're just seeing the, you know, you're in you're in a local, you're a rural community with like not many people around. You think what what would be the harm in opening the pitch? What I was thinking there when you were going through the through the counties, for example, if you if you took a county like Kildare, for example, where there might be urban areas close to Dublin, so where like in a, in a, in an urban area, maybe like a tire leak slip, where they mightn't be permitted to open up a pitch, you know, or the whole county mightn't be permitted to open up a pitch, whereas a local club, you know, a local club in rural Kildare. I know, might... no, but don't talk within counties now. Look, if if yeah. a tie has cases, then no club in the county, you oh. know, or if leak slip, that's not what I'm talking. About. I'm talking about in the entire county has no cases for 14 days, then that county should should be allowed, you know, open up their pitches. Yeah, I suppose the point I was making is that like a, a small club within the county might feel discriminated against if there was no, you know, cases in their area. I mean, like, like it, getting really bog, kind of bogged down in minutiae there, but like, I suppose... You, you, you are, you're definitely getting bogged yeah, down. Yeah, in yeah, it. I, I, <laughs> anyway, John Horan says so no. John... Can the GA mandate counties to make their own decisions? I think that gets very tricky. I think that's that's why they're probably well. They've all got they've all got autonomous county boards that decide on on the playing competitions and the structures within their county. I know, I know, I know. But this maybe this is considered a more national issue. This this is just my my take on William. Like I I definitely know where you're coming from. John Horan says no anyway. So he's he's quoted as saying it's when put to him about you know certain counties being able to open back up. It's across the association. We have to stay in this together. And the big challenges are probably more in urban areas. And I do understand that. And I do get a feel for the frustration and people are contacting me about that frustration. But we have to make safe and prudent decisions going forward. But a safe and prudent decision for a county who's had no new cases will be to open up. And we know John Horan is a bit of a parish pump president in that he'll he'll make sure Dublin um, isn't left behind in anything. But I don't know how much that kind of is weighing on his decision to you know, to make sure every county has to be treated equal when they're absolutely not treated, you know, treated equal. Like it doesn't make any sense. 
Did you see the Cushendall video, uh, Conan? Um, so the Antrim County Board is investigating this. So I saw this video. Um, it's nothing. Like, okay, it breaks the rule. There's four lads, <laughs> there's four lads running over and back on a GEA pitch, socially distanced. Four of them. If, the, if this club gets fined or gets in any trouble for this, it's just an outrageous joke. Yeah, yeah, but what's the rules? Like that's that's what it comes down to. Like it's just what well, I, don't, I, I, don't, the... I don't think that's a fair rule. So I'm on the lines. I I would advise any club in Ireland. <laughs> I would advise clubs in Ireland to go out back out kicking on your field now. You uh, go out climbing over the gate when nobody's looking. <laughs> but I could say like I don't I don't think the black card's a fair rule and just drag somebody down and say I don't agree with it. You know, it's like yeah, we a, lot don't of lads do that. a lot of lads do it. <laughs> <laughs> like we we don't agree with the rules a lot of the times and like a lot of the times they're applied really badly as well. And like, you know, this is probably one case where the rule could be looked at, but it is the rule and I think people should stick to it. Like that's that's what I mean. Like, you know, once cushioned all do it then you know, do Glenariff just down the road? Do they start doing it? And does you know then do Ballycastle look at that? And then they start doing it. And even if they're just running on the pitch, they're doing something that they shouldn't be allowed to do, and they're getting a little bit of an advantage on that as well because they're breaking the rule. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the video, but it looked like you know these kind of GA pitches that's kind of around in an estate. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I mean, it's not. It wasn't. There's no railing around it. You just walk onto it. Like I mean, the temptation must be unbearable in situations <laughs> like that. You have an O'Neill's ball in your house. The pitch is out there, and you can't swing one over from you know thirty meters out. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And you're in North Antrim as well, thinking you'll be absolutely <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, it would be grand. And then there's some busybody video on the outside of their bedroom window. <laughs> <laughs> I think Cush and Dahl give them a break we'll all be back soon let them off that's what I say <laughs> let the boys see? play yeah let them play let them play There's nobody harmed um, did you see the piece Balaki Clerken had it today and it was in the Independent as well it's basically from a study so it's a study commissioned by the GEA um, it's shown Gaelic footballers spend an average this is the headline I just it's just such a bizarre headline that the headline I don't want to really talk about much, but I'll read the first line to give the context of it anyway. So a new study commissioned by the GEA has shown that Gaelic footballers spend an average of just 2.5 seconds within two metres of other players during matches. Now, that's more than one other player. So I can see where they're talking about there. You come in and out of, you know, groups and it's in and out, whatever. So this study drew an imaginary two metre circle around the feet of each player. It measured the amount and duration of incursions into that circle by other players. It doesn't account for time in dressing rooms or pre-game warm-ups. That's fair enough. So during games, the longest any one player tracked in the study spent in the company of another was 58 seconds. So you're picturing a cornerback, corner forward situation there. He's inside a good cornerback who's doing his job. He's, you know, touch tight, whatever, um, was 58 seconds. So, like, I mean, here's the one which I thought was was uh, the more relevant stat. Players were found to spend an average of 24.72% of games inside two metres of at least one other player. Now, I don't know, Connor, what you think. I would have thought that would have been a lot higher than that, that players would line up close to each other. You know, full back lines, full forward lines, you'd imagine, would be within the two metres for a very high percentage of the game. Midfielders a lot less. And depending on how you direct your half back line, you know, from kickouts, you'd imagine they'd be beside each other. I don't know. I just expected that figure to be a lot higher. Yeah, I would have thought the same. Like it comes back to, I remember hearing that like a stat like a couple of years ago about the amount of time that an individual has a ball in their hands, you know, in a, ga- in a game and it was under a minute and you think, God, geez, you, you play for an hour and you, yeah, 
you know, yeah. you might have the ball in your hand for like 30 seconds. It seems it seems really strange. I thought the same here because, you know, like first of all, you know, if 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 you're if you're a cornerback worth your salt, you're going to be touched tight for, you know, you'd like to think 70% of the game, unless your man goes wandering off, you know, half yeah. back lines, half back lines a little bit less. As you said, midfielders maybe a little, little bit less again, but there would be a lot of kind of individual duels for kickouts and stuff like that where midfielders would have to be close close to each other as well. So yeah, I I found I found that um I found that 24.7 just under 25% is it? Yeah, a little low, but uh again the thing was you know the the main thing I took out of that was that 2.5 seconds within 2 meters of other players. I thought that would be dramatically higher. Really sure I suppose when at what point are you kind of touch tight you know touch tight with more than one player oh sorry that's just that's just one I I thought that was just one player sorry as opposed to more no than... it has to be more than one that 2.5 is more than one. Oh, okay right yeah well there, I suppose yeah that would be just maybe you know kind of maybe jewels around the full forward line or, or around midfield and breaking ball and stuff like that yeah but... so you're coming in and out that's that's the way you read it Conan yeah I think it's it's probably natural that you're getting less than we expect at county level because it's so fast and players are right. The average Aston IT did a study last year, two years ago, and the average running distance, 9.2 kilometres. So I was thinking in a club game, it's going to be like, you know, that's that's going to go up. You're going to be more encountered with people, I think, because the game's slower and there's more passengers as well. Like, you know, there's people standing mm-hmm. around watching the game. There are more fights, you know, so it's just, I think it's naturally you're going to be more... Uh, you know more encounters of people where you're inside their two meters um and then like yeah you mentioned the change rooms like shutters water bottles all the old habits that you have them with with playing like that's going to be probably the biggest problem not being on the pitch it's stuff that's happening in the changing room and the warm-up like you spend more time hitting off boys in warm-ups than you would in, in the match mm. yeah yeah but I, I suppose that's the thing that has to change do, do did it they did some study on training as well and the, the figures are higher for training and that's obviously you do a drill you get in a huddle you do a drill you get in a huddle you know you all share water all those kind of things where it's a little bit more dangerous i think practices the dressing room before the match so when you're looking at training yeah, and even for matches people are just going to have to arrive separately you know i'd say training will if to do it right you'd have to split training into maybe three groups and you know maybe line them up apart to talk to them you know backs and forwards might have to train separately but the idea of the huddles you bring your own water you know the idea of a dressing room scenario all those things will i'm sure will be in this pathway and that we're going to um that we're going to learn but like massive habits are going to have to change connor yeah, I think so. And I'd like just selfishly, I was thinking as well that like it probably means an end to those monotonous, torturous tackling drills. So, and just as I'm coming to the end of my career, but anyway, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's gonna like, uh, like even even the thought of I was just thinking there about how it's going to manifest itself in training and a lot of training. You know, you spend stuck behind a guy in a drill waiting to take your turn. You know, that yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You'd be lined out. They'd be like like you're going into little when you're lining up for a for a drill. <laughs> Yeah, so unless they can uh, <laughs> line, you know, two meter distances on the pitch, they're going to have an end to that as well, which is probably no harm. But that's, that's it. Like, that, it. It might lead to a revolution, like a good revolution in kind of training. That, as you said, there's a lot of back specific, you know, midfield specific, forward specific, and then you try and gather it together in a, like a in a in a game on a big pitch, you know, kind of later yeah. on in the training session or something like that. But it'll probably mean an end to a lot of drill based stuff. Yeah, a lot of managers' egos will be hurt where they can't get you into huddles <laughs> talking nonsense the whole time as well. One huddle. Well, would... the, 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 the two worst things, like you both mentioned, like Connor, like queuing up 
to get a kick of a ball, and then you have to queue up again for another minute and get another kick, and then like yeah, getting called in the huddle in the middle of the training, like you know, if those two things go. That is absolutely positive. And if you look at American football trainings, like you know, they're like they, Connor mentioned having backs and forwards and you know specific style training. Like that's the way they do it. They spread out around the pitch. They're all doing different drills. The only problem with that, it's coming back to an urban problem, is. You don't often get the pitch to yourself. You're sharing it with somebody else, sometimes two other teams. So you don't have enough space to sort of spread out around. Could you could you see a situation? I'll ask you this, Conan, because I'm going to use an example. Um, some little bollocks of a cornerback and he's marking his man and he starts coughing. Like, could you see somebody going that low? And I'm not usually one that thinks up of doomsday scenarios. I know you like the Conan, and I'm going to complete. I'm going to pick a county completely at random, like say Tyrone, where this might happen, right? <laughs> but could you see? Could you see a cornerback in Tyrone starting to cough to put his man off? Yeah. I can. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's so <laughs> desperate that, like, I mean, I think this needs to be legislated for. Or, like, I mean, you know, it's, it's there. There has to be some sort of a deterrent for something awful, pathetic. Like, the future of the club championship could depend on some bollocks like that doing something like that. But like, that's like, you know, there are almost worse things that's already happening. Even though like this could potentially be a life and death scenario, but like, you know, it needs to be legislated for people slagging their families or you know bringing up people that are dead or like you know somebody running in off the pitch like and this isn't all terrain specific by the way I'm thinking a lot about Derry as well <laughs> <laughs> and all over the country outside Ulster but um like there's just a lot of shit that goes on like why that like to think that's well, definitely like the vast 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 majority of people won't go there at all and they'll all be in it together and whatever like and maybe this thing has helped us but somebody will do it like you know that's just the, the nature of, of some players and some teams and yeah, I, I just I, I, there's just been too many bad examples, especially recently, to, to think that something like that wouldn't happen. Yeah, I, I think it, it, to do something like that and jeopardise, you know, the the future of the club game and the intercounty game for this year would be just it would be, I think it would be on a scale worse than anything that you know players could do. So the, just please don't do it. That's all. That's all I would have to say. Um, right, guys, continuing with our series of coaching. Now this is coaching in the loosest of uh, of terms. Last week, last week we did the art of fielding with Kevin Feely. This week we're going to discuss the art of trash talking. Um, I'm not sure this really fits into coaching, but you never know. One of the, and anyways, one of the finest exponents of the skill skill joins us on the line now. Emma McGee, how's it going? How's it going, Willie? Uh, I'm not too sure about that introduction. <laughs> well, here's we'll just go with it here. Here's the first question: uh, Were you always a good trash talker, or did you have to develop this the skill? Uh, I'd say it's something I had to develop, you know, in terms of how to be the biggest prick you could be. Um, <laughs> it's something that you had to work on, and to be to be honest with you, it wasn't. It, it didn't come naturally. It didn't come naturally. Definitely not. Didn't so like I mean, uh, for me, the perception of Donegal getting involved in the trash talking was when Jim McGuinness took over. It was almost like he wanted a harder edge, which he and he saw a lot more kind of that stuff verbals going on during matches. Yeah, and, and you know, it's definitely something that probably came to the fore. There was always an element, and it's probably an element to every Gaelic, Gaelic team that, you know, cynical and that nastiness, but it was definitely something that we talked about as a group, whether you had the Armaz and the Tyrones, you know, doing whatever they had to do to one, and we, we had to take that, we had to take that lesson on board and probably just 
you know, we we just were cynical, nasty, whatever you want to call us. Yeah, all sorts of. So, like, I mean, a lot of those matches involve kind of, you know, the scuffles where you're holding each other's jerseys, and that's when the tra- most of the trash talking happens. You know, during those flashpoints, or do- is it constant? It, it, you know, for for me, that's the, the way I always say you're marking the danger man. So, you're be on Sean Kavanagh or whatever. You probably the big tall man. I was never put on the the small fast fella. It was I was just too slow. I was put on the big tall fat fella. <laughs> um, and it it was always the case that I, I wanted to try and get get at the confidence straight away, right? Because you know it, it was never a case of you know personal jabs. They always felt that that there was no need to bring personal stuff in it. It was just always to go at the the confidence, go at the players' confidence, and forwards just thrive with confidence, and you're trying sap away at that and you're trying to you know a wee jab a wee jab about whatever like he might have took too many steps he might have had a wee uh, a wee wide there or you know just made a mistake and you're you're always at him just to reinforce that he's made a mistake and you know just to get the idea planted in his head that he needs to lose a bit of confidence so for me you know you said this funny stuff this ridiculous you know this holding jerseys this when you look at it now, it's the silliest thing ever because it's the most pointless thing. Everybody's pushing and holding jerseys and, you know, yeah. there's stuff set over and back and th- that wasn't really planned. But the stuff when you're in marking your man, when you're in the corner and you have, you know, two minutes to burn. So rather than just sit there in silence, you know, you say, geez, that was a, that was a bad mess, the, the last one. Or <laughs> you're, not going too well. you're not going too well today. Um, and, you know, I always laugh at... Dublin, the bench was, you know, ridiculously strong. So I was marking O'Gara one day and and, says, um, and I knew that Mannion was pushing for a spot and you had McManaman there and, and this is Martin O'Gara and I says, Jesus Mannion warming up there now. You need to buck up you need to buck up here a wee bit on and he looked over the sideline just sticking it to see was he actually warming up so I knew that I was playing this mind. But no, it was uh, it was always in the in the quiet moments in the in the corner, right? So that's, right, that's the kind of get inside. And I suppose, but you're setting yourself up for a fall. Then obviously, if O'Gara gets a goal, then or Kavanaugh gets a goal, you're you know you're you're putting the head down, and there I'm sure they're roaring back in your face or get trying to get you back. Or, 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 or exactly, and that, that's the that's the thing. If, you, if you're everybody's watched the George documentary, and you know I was laughing away that everybody can fucking trash talk. Yeah. Uh, everybody can trash talk when they're five points up or six points up and you know in your face and say well, whatever when you're starting off with a game that's when you kind of takes a bit more balls to do and you leave yourself open that you could turn around you could get skinned you know you can start <laughs> right. talking in the first two three minutes and he is one five scored off you after 20 minutes you're gone and he's in you know what much to say now and that's the risk you take because yeah. you can it can flip on you. You can get at their confidence, but you can also give them motivation. So it's just, it just depends what kind of player you're dealing with. Well, that's the thing because here's here's I I marked a uh, uh, Ricey before McManaman in a league game, and he never opened his mouth to me, and that threw me off more than if he had been in my ear because I knew the reputation he had. And then I was thinking it's only a league game. 
this was after the game. I pl- I wasn't playing well. I'd say the man just thought in his head he didn't need to trash talk me. Like I mean, yeah. maybe maybe he held that off for better players in championship matches. But like I mean, I suppose it's finding out who he he told me after he says he didn't think it would work on me or whatever. So he obviously had analysed potentially players that it could potentially infuriate mm-hmm. or get inside their heads. Like I know he used to really get inside Brendan Devenny's head. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I would make a conscious uh, effort of, like, you go out to Mark Kieran Donaghy. Like, Kieran Donaghy, there's, for me, I just felt there was no point. So I never yeah. even bothered with it. And just yeah. maybe got into a bit more physical or often turned into one of them wrestling matches. And there was no point me going at him because he, he was kind of strong mentally. It wouldn't really affect him. It would probably give him that wee bit of, wee bit of more motivation. And... There was players like that where you just said there's just no point. There was no there's players that were so in the zone that they just didn't pay any heat to you, and you know, you probably annoyed yourself more then. And you're trying to say stuff and this big long list, and he's not even listening. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> so like, do you mention Sean Kavanagh? And it was the 2015 championship that like Donegal Tyrone was toxic at that stage, and it was the you know a bit of a row going in, and you and Kavanagh were at each other, and you were probably in his ear. Did you think you could get inside Kavanagh's head, or did he lose the head with you at that stage going in, or did you overstep the mark? No, I with Kavanagh, you could like he would react, and that's all you're looking for is a kind of right. reaction to see but he, he, he would just keep coming back like you could never do I remember I had him in 2016 and you know kept him quiet for the first half and chipping away and then when he comes out and he scores two wonder points and that's the thing about Kevin you, you could never keep him down with other players they would start off like Davis of Graff and they'd just gradually go to the bottom with Kevin and he always the ability just to spike back up again um, we ne- never to be honest with you very Rare, counting one hand, probably the time where it really got out of all the times in Mark plays, it really got personal or it really kind of went over the edge. And I always felt that it was when things weren't going for well for me on the field, like that it was just that's when I started reacting or throwing stuff out that shouldn't be brought anywhere near a football field. Like, and yeah, kind of the thing when you straddle that line, be it physically or cynically or whatever inevitably you're going to cross cross it one or two times. Well, that, that's the thing. There's a bit of comedy about what you're doing. If somebody misses a point, you're in their ear, you're not playing mm. well. The going. There, there's no real honour in bringing up personal stuff. And you hear all these stories about teams doing, like, I, I, look, I've heard it about Tyrone more so than any other county, about doing homework on teams and knowing stuff about them personally. Have you any experience with that? I never had any experience of anything like that at inter-county level. Uh, you know, there, there was stuff said at the county level on me that there was research had to be done, like it's just not nice stuff. Um, really? Uh, yeah, de- definitely. But it's it's been rare. I've I've heard stuff about managers and coaches. It's more prevalent in the club game, but I've heard in the county manager going around asking for information, looking for information on opposition players. You know, personal information. I just think it's Absolutely ridiculously. Yeah. Um, if someone uh, says something personal and takes it to like, I would have no bother, you know, plugging them after the game. That's, I have no bother if one of my teammates brought up something personal and brought up something like that, then he deserves a slap after the game. 
Yeah, no, it shouldn't be accepted. There's no doubt about that. And like, I mean, there's no, like I said, there's no honor in that. Like that's, it's in a way, it's kind of cheating the game a little bit, isn't it? It's like, uh, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bullshit. Uh, yeah. I, I think um, there's just no, no light for it. It's, it's probably laugh. I think the referee actually laughed at me as I says, yes, this man, after saying X, Y, and Z, and he laughed at me. Are you seriously getting on to me with a player having verbals with you? And I says, well, he's after saying some personal, and the ref this cop yourself told me to cop on, like so. Um, but I have, I was annoyed about it that I went to the ref and, and chatted about it. So, right. So, like, I mean, I suppose that's an, like, has trash talk got has trash talk got you to the point where you've lost lost control a little bit in not maybe not the personal stuff because that's understandable. Like, I mean, have you been in a situation where you're doing a bit of trash talk and then you get hit for one two? He turns the tide on you, and now you're completely rattled. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the whole the, the it's been role reversal. So, <laughs> his confidence just on the way down. He's my confidence on the way down. You know, then you're keeping a close eye in the bench to see is there any defenders warming <laughs> up for. Um, it's just it's just all about the confidence, really. That's the the eye yeah. of the trash talking as you're going for for a man's confidence. If you if you look at the bench, if you look at someone warming up and it even crosses your mind, it could be for you. You're better off put your hand up and say, "Look, I've I've uh, I've had enough for today." I uh, if you know that's it. If you see a defender up when you you're kind of sure that you're coming off, you're better off saying, "Your man, hey, listen, sorry about that." Uh, um, <laughs> apologies for all that shit I was chatting. So, who's a good trash talker then in the forwards? Donahy, I know Donahy's a good he's a good one, and like you said, it doesn't work on him. Is that give us an example of someone who's good and an example of someone who you could potentially get inside their head? Uh, you know. It's funny, like I'm, I'm not sure, but it's been a while since I was marketing. But Connolly was always a man that I felt, that, you know, took the bait fairly, fairly handy in, ter- in terms of verbals. Right. Um, well, he was it. You he hit in eleven, wasn't it? No, no, no. It was Mar- Marty Boyle. No, well, Marty sorry, Boyle. I, I been, you were in, you were close you know, to Adam, the action. <laughs> yeah, I would have been at, at him throughout the throughout the game, and. Um, I remember in the league game, I think it was 2013 or 14, whatever year it was anyway, that I was at him again during the league and he went out of his way to try and you know, get one over me and he got blown up for steps a few times and I knew then that he'd taken the bit, bit that he was getting annoyed about this and you know he was pushing out and he was just someone that I think as the years went on he's matured a bit and he, he's got a wee bit you know, wise to it now but Probably someone that it didn't affect, you know, that was was again was the, was the Donaghy thing, and I, I don't remember too many forwards been coming back at you and saying and saying stuff, you know, oh, you're you're a terrible footballer. Like I remember the Tyrone lads were just used to say, "Let me give you have the ball." <laughs> <laughs> I used to pick up the I used to pick up the kickouts and get loads of these possessions, and they were saying, "Let him have it, let him have it." <laughs> That's terrible. That's that's worse than any trash talking, isn't it? Let him have it. Yeah, and you know, that's a, I, then I was trying to you know do what Connolly did and prove him wrong, and you'd end up making a complete hands of the thing. <laughs> yeah, they're probably I'd the best. They're they're prob- yeah, they're probably the best wind ups. Not the most, you know, not the most obvious insulting ones. It's like more subtle ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is when you have the whole tail forward line just saying, "Let me be have it," and you're there saying. These boys just think you're a terrible footballer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
It's a classic. Come here, how do you feel about the July uh, resumption? We're looking at, I think, the 31st of July it came out. Uh, well, we're going to read about it on Friday or on Monday. So, a light at the end of the tunnel. Definite, definite light at the end of the tunnel. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you only realise how important it is until it's gone. And I've got a double whammy there. The crashes are back, you know, GA's back. So, <laughs> everything is bright and positive in my life right now. Um, you'll have, you'll have time not, to go to a pint now if the pubs reopen. Aye, uh, the pubs will be open next week, eh? and that'll be the, the three the three godsends. And no, it's it's good. It's good just to get back. Um I think in fairness them they were being I know we probably didn't agree with how cautious, but you just have to have to trust them and um trust the process and you know they they've taken the right decision now and hopefully we'll be full like about club championship, but uh, is it is it end of August or starting at the end of July? Yeah, uh, uh, the thirty first of July. It's the last day of July. It's on a Friday. I think a Friday night. I think they're all going to kick off then. So it's August and September will be the two months um, for the club. We were talking on the show earlier, Eamon. Like there has been no new cases in Donegal for eleven days. Like I mean, how frustrating. I was reading Kevin Cassidy has to drive past the Guidor pitch to go down to a green area. Like, how frustrating is it in a county that it's gone completely out of, you know, almost, or for 11 days, we 12 days now, we've yeah. seen no new cases, and you can't swing over a, a score? No, I, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Um, we see the whole county more or less, you know, swinging back to normal and head back to normality, and probably one of the biggest outlets for you Personally, how you, how you train and you know your social point at the weekend, uh, it's not opening, so it's it's kind of frustrating that way. And what what annoyed me about the whole thing is that these WhatsApp messages, you know, are people still training, and you had to put up a picture of your yourself training, and this is driving me bananas. So hopefully, this uh, come, comes comes an end. Do do you know just before I let you go? Do you know what kind of a club championship you're going to have? I presume just straight knockout, or do, have you got any information straight, on that? Straight knockout. Um, you know they're trying. They're asking about for opinions on what is there any way we can give a bit of variance, maybe home and away in the first leg and then straight knockout. But uh, it's from my understanding, it's going to be straight straight knockout. Right, okay, so listen, um, there's something you can look forward to. Come here, Eamon, thanks very much for taking the call, I appreciate it. Willie, thank you, appreciate that, mate, take care now. I'd never be allowed to go off and eat a heap of shite like him, and you know, a slob or whatever, like I was always doing a bit. I, all I remember is I thought I was going to get clobbered on the way in there. I threw the ball up in there, I don't know, it was, it was pure luck, no one fairness, pure luck. Ah, uh, but it's fucking bullshit, have you seen yourselves? Okay, so Connor Myler had a piece on LinkedIn, which is a bit of a strange one. I think he, he writes, are they, how do, what's that all about actually, Connor? How does, is LinkedIn paying him to write articles or how, do, how does that work? Or am I throwing something at you that, that you don't know anything about? <laughs> oh, no, he's just got his own LinkedIn page and he's sticking up sort of like a blog post. It's, people use Medium, some people use LinkedIn. It's just if you're not writing on a published website, you can just publish it on there and stick it ah, right. He's he a good piece, isn't Yeah, yeah. So this was a good piece about, it's about Michael Jordan and suppose you'd be sick in the teeth kind of listening about Michael Jordan and that <laughs> clip that went out and went viral about, you know, you either want to win or, you know, you don't. And yeah, I was, wasn't very nice to my teammates, but I wanted to win, etc. And all this kind of thing. 
And then you have a whole lot of people say, no, you don't have to be an asshole to be a good leader. And all these kind of arguments. And Conor Myler's saying that you don't have to be like him. He says, are there other ways to lead successfully? And he says, the answer is yes. My worry for coaches, parents, and even athletes themselves is that they will watch the last dance and try to emulate Michael Jordan's mindset and impose it onto their care uh, and impose it onto those in their care. The truth is, no matter how much you try, you can't be Michael Jordan. And I don't know. Do you really think people, uh, Conan, will start to copy someone after watching a documentary from the 90s? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> we're talking about those huddles that we get into. Like, how many times does somebody speak up and, like, you know, somebody who's probably a sub for most of their career and they're, they're telling you they need to do better? And, like, you know, people love that opportunity anyway to speak yeah, up. And... A sub can't relate to Michael Jordan. Like, let's be honest, there's only certain players who can get away with being an asshole like Michael Jordan. And you're oh. looking at. You're looking at Messi, you're looking at Ronaldo, you're looking at players that teammates know, I don't care what he's like. I, we need him. He's unbelievable. He is the greatest oh, yeah. player in this game. Any random player can't do that. And any random player can't pretend their personality is like Michael Jordan's. And even if it is like Michael Jordan's and they're this kind of alpha male and they come into a dress room and they like to take the piss out of lads, if they're not as good as Michael Jordan, they'd be told to piss off. Yeah, but that, like you're, you're right. Like that's that's what I was going to say. So like, there's only three people that I can think of in the history of team sport who would be able to get away with that, and it's the three people you mentioned: Jordan, Messi, and Ronaldo. Is because they back it up, and because they're so so far ahead of every one of their teammates that it's grand. Like they're all going to put up with it because because he is so far ahead, and also like he needs them to get up a level so he can win what he wants to win. It's selfish, like as well. They want to like they want to achieve, but they need their teammates to help them. So. They can get away with it. Like other people will try it. I think they will. Like they'll naturally sort of pick up those habits. It won't work because they're not Michael Jordan or Messi or Ronaldo, and they won't get the respect. Like so, like you might pick up some decent things from it. Like and maybe standards will raise across the board. But nobody can go on like Michael Jordan unless they're Messi or Ronaldo. You know, it's just it's just not possible. I I remember I captain Portlaoise. Not to give him an own analogy in this context, but like I mean, I and Portlaoise, I'm in the top two or three players on the team, and I really you know kind of i did give out to lads a lot for leash i would never do that because i wouldn't have yeah. the standing in the team to do it like it, there's it's showing a serious lack of intelligence if you watch that and you're a club player and you think uh connor that you can start going around like michael jordan i just don't think lads will do it i think this has been overly analyzed and number another thing is connor like you know that kind of leadership worked in the 90s we're 20 years on now players are much more sensitive you see managers like Jose Mourinho with kind of management styles that worked 20 years ago or whenever 15 years ago when he started it just doesn't work now players are rebelling against it so even if Michael Jordan was to come back now and start that with a a basketball team now you have players crying and looking to transfer yeah no like we're softer now <laughs> you've you've hit the nail completely on the head. Like as in that the the reason that Jordan could get away with it, the reason that Messi or Ronaldo, I I don't know that they're dickheads, like you know, in the dressing room, or whatever. But because Ronaldo is, you, you get that impression, yes. <laughs> because they back they back it up all the time, and they, they they have the stats and they have the performances to prove it. Like my my only kind of thing on this is that like I I like I've I found over the years that the GA has a, a like has a bit of a copycat mentality. So like I, I think there's a lot of characters in dress rooms throughout the country that'll see that and look to adopt that immediately and they'll be telling their teammates that. Do you know, like like even Connor Myler's post, he mentioned that like this is different because it's collective. But Connor Myler mentions the all backs, no dickheads culture. And like look how per- pervasive that became in the in the GA yeah. 
by sweeping the sheds and stuff like that, you know, like the only thing I suppose is that the, like the last dance is, has, has been over for about a month now. So by the time that we're back playing club football, the people might have forgotten about it. But I reckon that if, you know, if, if club championship was taking place at the moment, you can guarantee that there'd be clubs up and down and individuals, players up, up and down the country echoing my, what Michael Jordan said and justifying the fact that he did it for them to get away with it, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And, and anyways, that all blacks, no dickheads thing, that's the greatest load of nonsense. You might as well be in the army. You're trying to suppress people's personalities. People should be allowed to be themselves and the manager should manage different personalities. This no dickheads thing is basically everybody act the same. Nobody step out like, if you're not humble, pretend you're humble and come, in, and, and come into the dressing room like, like a bloody actor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretend you're humble. Pretend you're humble, Wooly, but make sure you get filmed while you're sweeping the dressing room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's but if you, if, I don't know if he's heard uh, Jordan Henderson on Jamie Carragher's podcast, and like you know, if you think of like the like Suarez at Liverpool, he was way above everybody else at Liverpool. But Henderson talked about having a blow up of him at training because Suarez was basically going on like Michael Jordan was going on in some of the examples. Suarez is throwing his hands up every time Henderson had the ball and sort of, you know, poking at him, like, you know, looking over to the coaches saying, what's he doing? And like they came head to head apparently and Henderson wasn't having it from Suarez who was way above him and everybody else. You know, so it didn't even work there. It's not going to work at club level. GA. <laughs> like you're like, I can see, Willie, definitely you're coming in from County. And I like, you know, when a County player's in the squad and they're, you know, they are raising the standard and stuff like that. But part of me is also thinking, some boys here just want to train twice a week and play a match. You know, they're not going to be doing what the County players expect of them nearly. There's yeah. one healthy thing there, I think, from Michael Jordan's uh, little bit where he said, like, I didn't ask anybody to do anything I didn't do myself. Like, that's probably yeah. just the important thing anyway. Like, if anybody's going to take anything from that clip, it should be that, like, you know, lead from what you're doing. Well, well, that's the thing. So Jordan, like, not only he was an alpha male, it was his personality and he was a competitive freak and he trained harder than everybody else and he was yeah. better than everybody else. So if he wants to give out to you, what are you going to come back to him with? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, you know, there's nothing really to come back to him. So, yeah, he took advantage of that and maybe was a bit of a an asshole. But, like, at the same time, I'm taking it out. Like, I don't, like, we. I, I remember an interview with Wayne Rooney saying... Ronaldo didn't really work, so I just worked a little bit harder for him because he might score the goal. <laughs> like, I mean, every team has hierarchies. I hate this no dickheads, everybody's the same policy. They're not. They're absolutely not. Like, I mean, it, it's just it's just not the way the world works. And, like, I mean, I don't know any kind of team or job or any walk of life where everybody has to act the same, have the same personalities. Yeah, no, yeah. like, like I, I, I've, I've long had issues with that, um, no dickheads thing, Wooly. I've like, I've, I've said them on the podcast at all, and I've, especially an issue with how it, they seem to have been adapted throughout the GAA. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like even, like, e even we've talked about it, like over the years as well. Maybe like the, the Dublin players being told not to celebrate goals and stuff like that, and you know the, the way they, they, you know, maybe conduct themselves in interviews a certain way that it has to ascribe to a certain, you know, protocol or something like that, which it just. It tempers individuality, it tempers flair, and tempers personality and charisma. And I just, I, I wouldn't be a fan of it whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. So there's going to be a new club in East Belfast, lads. Um, and if you ever wondered how easy it is or hard it is to set up a club, well, this seems pretty easy. So Dave McCreevy, who is from Down and played in the 2013 Connacht final, he was playing with London. 
he was eating breakfast one morning and he set up a Twitter account um, at East Belfast, I think it is. Um, and he tweeted out a new GA club for East Belfast, not a GA stronghold uh, by any means. Anyways, um, a new GA club for East Belfast. If you're interested in playing, coaching or admin, more than likely all three, all ages, genders and backgrounds welcome. Please email the email address. And he said within a half an hour, the response was crazy. His phone hasn't stopped. Thought we'd get enough for an under-12 boys team, but at this rate, it looks like we're going to have a men's team, a ladies' football team, a hurling team, and hopefully a camogie team. So there's been 100 people interest, expressed an interest in joining club, um, and 45 have said they were they're interested in playing either men's, women's, or hurling, or camogie. So, like, I mean, that's that's that, like it still doesn't fix where they're going to play or what they're going to do. Like, I mean, there's a lot of answers, and they're, they're looking to play. They're looking to play in the Down Championship as well, Colin. So I don't know if you're our uh, Ulster correspondent. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure why they're like you know Belfast does run a bit into Down as well, a bit of it, but like East Belfast wouldn't. And I think it would be a great. It would be a great statement almost to do it in interim with all the yeah. other Belfast clubs, like and you know, like, yeah. and East Belfast is the predominantly unionist area, so it would be great, like you know, just to have a, a GAA club there. And I just was thinking about the example of Nivena, who got the Ulster final um, a couple of years ago, intermediate, uh, like they're in Glengormley, and they've had their own troubles down through the years just because of where they're based and they're a GAA club. But like, what, like, what a, what a community it is for everybody who you're. Gales in that area, like, and this could be great for people in East Belfast. Yeah, so I think the last time there was a, a club, a GA club in that area was the 1970s, St. Column Kills. Um, and they went out of existence, um, yeah, like I said, in the early 1970s. So that's that's a great um, thing. Yeah, just the question of why the Down Championship would be much better to compete in the Antrim Championship and where the hell are you going to train? I suppose maybe Column Kills, well, no, I wouldn't say that's just sitting idle for the last 50 years. <laughs> 50 years. Anyways, we might get, uh, we might get Dave uh, McCreevy on the show on Monday to have a chat about that. Um, another one here quickly, lads, is a tweet from Kieran Sheen. And this is another thing that kind of grinds my gears is... John Fogarty had a piece in the examiner and he said, focused athletes as they are, or says inter-county players can't be expected just to switch off. The sad reality is they're being deprived of what defines many of them. Now, Kieran Sheehan took exception to this and said, this is a concern for me. Players shouldn't be defined by a sport they excel in. What happens to the athlete when their career ends? Better life, better performance. And all this thing of being defined by the sport that you play, I played GEA for how I'm still playing. So I'm playing GEA maybe 30 years and I have never once had a conversation with a GEA player about how, whether the sport defines them or not. I, is this just a made up kind of overthinking kind of thing, uh, Conan, or what is it? Like, I mean, I've never spoken about it. And like to be known as a good Gaelic footballer, why are you trying to say that's a bad thing? It's a good thing. And if you overthink your life and you're trying to think, oh, well, but is that all I have? Well, that's up to you to change that. Like, I mean, being known as a good intercounty player is a pinnacle of Gaelic football, and you should never see that as a bad thing. And I, I, I just don't really get this whole conversation. Please explain it to me. Yeah, I, <laughs> I get the the concern. Like, you know, people want to show that there's more to them than just that, and maybe sometimes they don't have that opportunity if they're being asked to not speak to the media, or especially if they're only being asked questions about GA as well when they're in the media, but. Yeah, it's it's a good thing. Like surely, like if you've given up, as you say, like thirty years of your life to to play GA, like do you not want to be associated with it in some way? And like, yeah. look again, just not to use you as the only example here, but 
you know, it's been great for you. Like you've done, you've went to America and played. Like you've played for Ireland international roles. You, you've got a career now where you're talking about GA. And I always think, like, I look at like somebody like Carragher who I mentioned there, Gary Neville. Like they're using their past examples. They're using what we see that defines them as footballers as yeah. being good now at being pundits, and it's a good career for them. Well, have you have you ever had a conversation with a teammate going, "Geez, I feel like I'm being defined as a GA player." Are these normal? Are these regular conversations that happen that I've just never heard in thirty years? Do you know what? In fairness, I, I might have had like a internal thought where I just feel like my whole life is being dictated by it. But I don't. But that's different. Know, but yeah, it is different, isn't it? Like, I, I, yeah, no, no, because like you're you're right. If you want to portray someone else, then just do it. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> Connor. It's up to you to live the life that you want to live. And like, I mean, here's another thing, right? I'm a doctor. I'm an intercounty GA player, to use the example. How do you know you're being defined as a GA player? A GA player is much more hope, high profile in your life than being a doctor. You're not a, a famous doctor that plays in front of seventy thousand people. Like, how much of a balance between how much how much definition, you know, do you want between your career and your intercounty much more high profile pastime? Yeah, I suppose it depends on how 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 high profile a doctor you are, Willie. But uh, I don't I don't know too many uh, doctors that are that high profile that their their profile as a doctor exceeds that as a GA player. But exactly, but so that's all. The higher profile intercounty game is you're going to be known for that, regardless of other stuff. You, but who define like when I see Kieran Sheen, for example, am I defining him as that? I'm not really. I know him as it, but I don't know what he does. You know, when we had him yeah. on the show. But I don't, a lot of intercounty players, you don't know what to do with the rest of their life. And I don't overthink it by going, Jesus, I only know him as a GA player. You know, I don't know. But how else are you, how else is me, say, somebody from Mayo supposed to know Kieran Sheen apart from as a GA player? Do you know what I mean? But the, the danger here is like, is, is applying that mindset collectively. Some people are absolutely happy to be, you know, to be caught up in, in their identity as a GA player. They're yeah. it's probably defined their whole life, their relationships, they might have met their, you know, long-term partner, their career might have, they might have got a job through the GA. They're, you know, they, they, they might be involved in GA long after, long after they finish playing, they might be happy with that. Whereas there's others who might be, you know, completely immersed in GA throughout their career and then find that when they stop playing, you know, that they struggle to deal with life after, you know, after because they, they, you know, their life isn't the same when they're, when they're still playing. But that's, it's completely individualistic. It's it's really difficult to apply, you know, the uh, the issue of identity as a GA player to everybody. So yeah. I suppose that's, that's uh, we, 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 we've tried to hit at it there, but that's, some people are happy to be identified as GA players and some players would prefer something else to be identified about them first. It's up to the individual to decide what that is. Well, yeah, it is. And, and one other thing, though, is during my 20s, I worked in finance. I wasn't happy in that job at all. Being an intercounty footballer is what brought joy to my life. Not the, like I, I, Being defined as a Gaelic footballer was a good thing in my life. Being known as a good player was a good thing in my life. Like I don't, A lot of people are glad that they're intercounty players. I hate this idea that it, that's wrong to be defined by that. Or only, you know, not everybody has a brilliant job that they're really proud of, like, but they could be re- they're really proud of the, their, their sporting ability. Yeah, and interestingly, like if he, <laughs> I don't know, I've never been or uh, seen Kieran Sheen on a date or whatever, but if he was out talking about himself, like selling himself or whatever, he would, he would maybe talk about his career first. This is what I do. I'm from Cork, and then, like surely, like the next topic or like or somewhere near the next topic would be I play GA at a very high level because this is where, it's where I'm spending a lot of my time, and I'm actually really proud of the achievements that I've, yeah. I've taken in. I, no, I don't want this to be. I don't want this. Yeah, I don't want this. 
Yeah, I don't want it to be a criticism of Kieran Sheehan because I see it a lot these days, you know, and Dear Ling, Gizzy, and he's a re- really, really deep thinker. And there's a bit of a GPA element to this as well of not being defined by it. And maybe if it's to encourage you to do some, you know, to get a job that you like, but that's not the reality for most, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, just it's something that kind of bothers me when I read it. I don't want it to be a criticism of Kieran. You know, yeah. like, I mean, it's like Connor says, it, it is each to their own, I suppose. And if it pisses him off that somebody says, oh, there's Kieran Sheehan, um, the the Cork footballer, that's his business. But I would say he's yeah. well, well, well in the minority of that. I wonder, is there a difference? Like, you know, are they thinking that by somebody saying that this defines him, do they think that's just encapsulating them then? Like, you know, this is the only thing that they do, and that's what everybody thinks. And maybe. that's where maybe they're, they're, overthink- from. They're, they're overthinking it. This is my point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just get on with it. Grand, you're a good player. Yeah, <laughs> Just like, get on with it with Colin Parkinson. <laughs> <in the podcast. laughs> All right, our last one of the day is Owen Merchant. Like, I mean, I've never met Owen Merchant. Um, I like him as a player. And this is kind of modesty gone wrong here, right? Because I laughed when I read this and he, he, he's talking about his All-Ireland goal. And this is really a classic. Now, he explains it after us, so I'm just going to have a little bit of a laugh at the first part of it and then talk about it a bit more seriously. So he says, I got the easy end of the job, which was putting the ball in the back of the net. An individual goal that basically nobody else touched from a set play. This lad ran from midfield to stick it into the corner of the net. And he got the easy end of the job, which is putting it. No one else did anything outside of getting out of your way, Owen. Like, I mean, I was like, what is this? He says, um, the finish is fine. It went in. I'm happy with that. But what, what's more impressive was with that play is the movement and the smarts, the selflessness of the other guys on the pitch. I can kind of see where he's coming from there. Like, obviously, Conor Callaghan and Dean Rock kind of spread out, out of the way. This was a, this is like Maradona in 86 in the World Cup saying, oh, geez, I'd really like to thank my teammates for showing up on the day because, the, you know, it would have been a walkover if I hadn't, uh, they hadn't have shown up. So I, I want to thank them for just being on the pitch. <laughs> I'd like to thank David Bourne for pointing the ball straight to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like the only other things. Go on. No, the only other things that they all spread out. Yeah, as you said, but the halfback line also got dragged out for the throw-in, which was clever. Like if you pause it from behind the nets, they're all at the sixty-five meter line because the half forwards have gone out for the throw-in. That's it. Like <laughs> merchant yeah. and everything. It still wasn't the easiest part of the job. <laughs> no, it wasn't. That finish was incredible on the run like that. It was absolutely incredible goal. But here's an interesting thing about merchant, and it was part of this interview as well. He was on some Zoom call and. Uh, he said he noticed. He said I noticed in the first half I'd found myself in a lot of space, consistently in acres and acres of space. As we were coming out of the tunnel, I had a word with Johnny Cooper and just said, "Look, at some point I'm just going to have a go." Isn't that? Isn't that? Like I mean, the more I think about it, and I've always said this that managers need to, you know, get the feedback from their players about what they see on the field because play, there's no better analysts of games than nobody else knows the midfield area than halfbacks, half forwards and who, you know, who's on top of the breaks. You get your stats man in all you want, but they know, they know what's happening and how it's happening. That he had a good idea that he was going to get a good, a chance like that in acres of space and he had his mind made up um, pretty much, Connor, that I'm just going to go for it. So when that happened, you know, it wasn't crazy for him. He he kind of had it in his mind. If that, for example, if that happened from the first half throw in, he would have he would have passed that off to Connor Dean Rock. You know, he would have forced yeah. him to come on the loop. And isn't it brilliant that he didn't play in a system where, like, as a half back, whatever, he wasn't prevented from going beyond the halfway line, which is you know, if, if a manager had said that to him, he might have thought twice about it. And that like it, it nearly seemed to be, I'm sure 
like that that obviously came from the old merchant's experience in the first half that he was going to have a go but i thought it was brilliant that he just said it to johnny cooper maybe he thought he had to say something to somebody just in case he did do something he said i told you i was going to do that but he said it just as they were coming out of the tunnel at half time as well but i always got the impression and like and then you hear about dublin players as well is that like they were empowered to think think for themselves i mean you often hear stories about the dublin team just you know when they came in at half time and they mightn't be playing particularly well and Jim Gavin just let them have it amongst themselves for 10 minutes and decide what to do because they, he had so much trust in them as a group of players that he knew they could make the right decisions. So, like, yeah, it's just really, really refreshing to hear it from, from somebody like Owen Merchant as well who, like, without knowing the inside of the Dublin dressing room, you imagine probably wouldn't be the most vocal either. Yeah, probably not. He said, I thought somebody, Con or Dean, would come to me and try and take the ball off me, but that just never happened. I just kept going. Eventually, there was a one, it's eventually there was no one to give the ball off to, so I just had to go for it myself, Colin. <laughs> you, had, uh, you talked before, Willie, about um, Dublin playing against Mayo and feeling the strength of the Mayo players, you know, when they're coming into the tackle, so they, they pull back out. That's the difference when they're playing against other teams who don't have yeah. strong defenders. And just that idea of players giving feedback to managers like ma- a manager can't know that he, c- he can see who's playing he can see if they're tight or not but you can't know if the player is feeling particularly strong or you don't want to go at him like you know whereas a player will know who you can go at and who you can't just based on what's happening minute to minute and if he feels like somebody's just not up to it or he's got a soft shoulder he's the best person to say that to the manager and say well, we need to be a bit more ballsy and get at those three boys over there or isolate them or it's just things that a manager can't know from looking at the sideline yeah no they're definitely definitely maybe not at half time because there's not enough time but you know I'd say what Dublin are very good at is the the, the post-match Monday night meeting where players can give their thoughts and they're encouraged to you know and then the, you know the management can get all that brilliant on the field information and, you know, make our decisions. And that's, I think that's why Dublin were just so good coming from draws into the replays and usually made the right changes. Um, anyways, we're, uh, we're finished. We're in good mood today. That's the thing. Like, I mean, I feel so much more enthusiastic. Than- <laughs> I mean, Back. <laughs> um, watching an old All Ireland was great crack for a while, and now analysing an old match, I just rather jump out the window of the office here. <laughs> uh, just get on with it, will you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe I'm overthinking it, right? Which I hate. Right, okay, we'll talk to you Monday. We'll be back into the show on Monday. Talk to you then. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So I opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I, I'm, har- I'm heartbroken. <laughs>